The saying goes, when you need to lose yourself, you will find yourself in a garden. A beautiful garden can inspire us, restore us, and calm us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And a very, very, very good morning to you. Yes, I mean, sure, how's this rain in Johannesburg at the moment? Isn't it absolutely glorious? Um, not so wonderful when you're wandering around outside in the garden, but at least we can appreciate it and we can appreciate our gardens from inside. Or if you're actually in the mood for weeding, that, of course, is the best time to go and do it because then it's easy to pull the weeds out. But what is a weed after all? It's just a plant that's growing in the wrong place, especially if it's between your pavers and things like that. So that's a good time to get them out without leaving bits and pieces behind. But get them before the seeds come out. We're going to be having a really, really kind of um, diverse show today because uh, during the course of the week, a whole bunch of us went through to the Ballstrat of Trials, which they have every year, where they show the industry... Uh, the new plant varieties which they have chosen to go onto the shelves of the nurseries to you, the consumers, um, from about, I'd say, February onwards. And my goodness, was there a choice of absolutely beautiful blooms this year. It's very difficult because we get to choose the ones that we like as well. And I always try and limit myself to just have putting three flags down. But this year it was hard to try and work. And we're going to be talking about that and about how to design your garden with one of my absolutely favorite people in the entire world. You might have seen him um, joining us to talk about garden design on Gardening 101 on the Home Channel over the last few years. And that's Michael Rickoff of uh, Lifestyle College. And he's uh, one of the best designers I've ever come across in my life, to be honest with you. Uh, he was there as well, so he knows about the plants. He's going to be telling you all about the wonderful things we've seen. Um, but of course, uh, some of the plants that you might want to be getting into your garden at this stage, if you're very into indigenous instead of just color plants, um, they've got a whole bunch of lovely lediburia, uh, which I see that Andrew Hankey of the Walter Sisulu National Botanical Gardens has been putting up as the plant to have this week. Okay, so the Lediburia Davidsonii, as well as the Woody Eye, and those are Wood African Hyacinth and the Striped African Hyacinth. They're little dwarf plants, they're bulbous plants, they've got small striped leaves, and then they get these beautiful pale pink to whitish flowers in spring and summer. So they've got, the, especially the Woody Eye has got this strong hyacinth scented flower which comes through as well so if you're looking for something indigenous as a little ground cover to have in your bed to go with your aloes and whatever other indigenous plants you have those are the ones that you should be looking at and before we get into the bulk of our talk for today uh, just to remind you to diarize um, if you are keen to go and have a look at show gardens which is one of the best places to go and actually get your inspiration when it comes to having a look at, at gardens and what you should be doing you of course, they have the open gardens. And the last one, I think, for the uh, four gardens of the Golden City is in Ferndale, Berkeley House in Pine Avenue. So that's happening on the Saturday, the 26th and Sunday, the 27th of November. So do diarize it. Um, it's open from 10 in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon, 50 rand per a person, children under 12 are free. That money all goes to the charities which Golden, Gardens of the Golden City support. So you don't have to book. You can just go along into Pine Avenue in Ferndale and go and check out this beautiful garden and get some ideas yourself. We're going to be giving you loads of ideas today, okay, if you're still thinking, what should I do with my garden? I've never done gardening before. I don't know how to design it. 
because Michael will have all the tips and tricks that you need to get that going. But now seeing as we're in November and it's raining, <laughs> we're going to play you something which is both November Rain from Guns N' Roses. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And if you've just joined us, just tuned in, this is Blooming Lovely with me, Melanie Walker, and my very special guest joining us from a very wet Johannesburg, we have Mike Rickoff uh, on the, what can we call this, virtual studio today. Mike, how are things in your neck of the woods? It must be quite difficult for you sometimes. I mean, some people think, oh, no, gardening in the rain is fantastic, rain is fantastic, but... When it comes to installing a garden, how do you deal with something like this? Is it just something that, well, we're not going to go on site because we can't do anything? Or, or, you know, how do you deal with these kind of conditions where we have rain for such long periods of time? Well, the reality is that you, you go off site. Um, you know, you can't, you can't fight against the elements, especially as they are now. So, you know, we, we go off site and, you know, there's always studio work and stuff that has to be done. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult one because, you know, building in, building in this uh, inclement weather is, is not a good idea. Planting in the mud is not a good idea. Um, the only, the only time we've managed to fight it is in uh, when we build show gardens at the, at Lifestyle and we mm. put a huge plastic sheet over the entire show garden. <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult to carry a huge plastic sheet around with you, cover everybody's property. So yeah, it's, you, you basically just have to can site and come back when, uh, you know, when you can. Okay, so I mean, it, that, and I suppose that goes for people who are wanting to do gardening at home on their own anyway, because I mean, you don't want to be sitting in the rain. But I was saying it is a good idea to actually go out and weed at this time because <laughs> it comes out a lot easier. And that's about all you can really do in the rain, hey? Look, yeah, I mean, there are always things that you can do, I guess. Um, uh, you can take a hard yard broom when, when, when the rain stops and you can start sweeping the paving and stuff. That's, that's nice. You don't waste water washing your paving. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of creative things you can do, I suppose. But, um, I know from experience, we, we, once upon a time, we were, we were under serious pressure to get a show garden finished and we planted even Santadesia in, in the wet mud and they all died mm. because they sim- simply get starved of oxygen. Um, And of course, everybody thinks that plants breathe through their leaves, but they actually breathe through their roots. No, they need aeration in the soil. And unfortunately, when it gets muddy like that, there's just, it it takes all the oxygen out. So Mm. we can't build, we can't mix cement, we can't, um, we can't dig, we can't plant. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's a mixed blessing for landscapers. Um, you know, if you've just planted up a garden, this is a blessing. but if, if you're just about to start laying paving or, or building retaining walls or, or things like that, then it, it becomes a challenge. Okay. You might have heard me waxing lyrical uh, just a moment ago about the amazing plant varieties which are coming through um, out of Ball Start Off. And I saw you there. What really stood out for you amongst all the plants that were there on show? Uh, you know, it's difficult with balls. It's difficult, and 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 the more I, I was I was with I was with Richard Gibb, a, a friend of our, a colleague of ours, um, uh, that you you also know Mel. Yeah. Um, and and I was saying to him, I, I can remember the first year I went to balls, uh, and and it, everything was just amazing. Now you go to balls right off, and you actually start to cherry pick a little bit. It's almost as though you're a bit spoiled, isn't it? Um, but I, I must agree with you. Those those multi-headed sunflowers just did it for me. 
Um, I, I think those are amazing landscape plants. You know, landscape plants have to be big and bold and in your face. Uh, but the Anagazanthus to me was the star of the show. Um, okay, now we have to talk about, I was going to say, the Anagazanthus, I walked in and I, you know, the, the kangaroo paws, I kind of look at them and I've seen them in the past and I always think about Australia and like this very succulent tea and they were orange and they, they kind of aren't plants that you would plant out in, on mass. But the ones that they have gotten now with those purples and pinks and turquoise, since when do you get turquoise and blues, actual blues in a flower? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was almost translucent. That, 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 uh, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a little LED of sorts because it was shiny and virtually metallic. That one did it for me. There's, there, there was a really red one this year with a red stem, mm -hmm. which I think is the landscaper's dream as well. That one I would mass plant any day of the week. Um, but you know, I like unusual plants now. I, I like to collect unusual plants. My garden is a hodgepodge of different types of plants. I don't it's have a, a scrambled egg. Garden. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a landscaper's garden. I, I have a plant collector's garden um, for my sins. So I, I do all my landscaping outside of where I live. <laughs> but, but where I am is where I am is I, I love to collect different plants. I love to go through to the aloe farm in Outbearsburg. They've got some amazing plants at the aloe farm. They have a massive, huge, beautiful range of aloes, um, of agapanthus that'll mm. blow you away. So walking through balls, I, I must say the, the, some of the new varieties in impatience. Um, I've always, you know, impatience have been a dodgy plant for a while. I think for most people, um, in the last few years, but, um, they're coming into their own again. Um, so, so some of those were good. I think they've got some beautiful succulent varieties at, at Borstrado. Yeah. How was that? That mix. That aloe yeah. hawaiia mix, I mean, I was just like looking at that and going, wow. And apparently, because I spoke to, to Kathy from Ballstrathof about which is the one that the most people are putting their flags into because they it's take the flags one. out every day. It was in those two succulents. It was, um, the aloe and, uh, oh, sorry, it was an, an aloe and gasteria mix, wasn't it? Gasteria. It's a gasteria, yeah. not a hawaiia. Uh, and then the Hawithia. And I mean, the lines on these things, very compact little succulents. I mean, they're just unbelievable. But I think those are going to be quite expensive. And that'll be something that if you're a collector, you would put it into your, your collection, but not something that you would mass plant in your garden. Yeah. And, and I think this is what's happening. It's, it's a trend I'm seeing with people that, you know, people are out there looking for unusual things. And I think when, when you see unusual plants come into garden centers uh, on the retail front, um, those are the plants that, that just move off the floor very fast. You know, it's not necessarily, I, I suppose we still have what we would call our backbone plants, you know, the tried and test, uh, tested ones, mm. um, which, which, you know, from a landscaper's point of view, when you're mass planting, you're mass planting something you can trust, not something you don't know anything about. But when you've got something you don't know much about, you're right. It becomes a collector's item and you buy one or two. Uh, and, and, and you have them as part of your collection. And I think that's why those two plants were getting the most votes because they were so unexpectedly unusual. Mm. Um, I, I, I mean, I know where I put my flag and I think you'll probably suspect where I put my flag. All of my In the flag. sunflowers. Yeah. In the sunflowers and the anticanthus. So and the that, yeah. that, 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 that was where I had my flags because they were just so unusual for me. And the sunflowers were just so beautifully compact and, and um, attractive and, statuesque almost even though they were short they, they sort of almost look like they are a dwarf variety mm. and that's what makes them so cool you know 
Okay, so let's get back to basics here. So pretend I'm somebody who has never, ever gardened before. I know nothing about garden design and I have a space. Now, we have spoken to people over the last few weeks about obviously getting your soil right is important and making sure that, you know, you check out what your um, sun and shade areas are looking like and everything like that. So we've, we've covered all of those things. So those are the very basics that you need to get under your belt. Okay, but then when you face for the space, either which has been established already or you've gone into a new area where there's no garden at all. What is the first thing from a design perspective that you should be looking at? I always look at the lines of the house. <laughs> it's the very <laughs> first thing I look at um, uh, to see that, uh, you know, it, it's, al it's, al it's almost instinctive now that when you stand in a garden and you've been doing this for some time, you look at the lines of the house and you say the first thing that has to happen from a design spatial point of view, is the house and the garden need to be integrated. Um, and I've seen to, I've seen so many gardens where we it's almost as though we've gardened with our back to the to the property, because the house and the garden look so disconnected, mm. um, as though they're separate entities. So I I always look to to say how how do I how do I visually and physically sometimes join the house and the garden together so they become an integrated living space. Um, that's a, that's the first thing I look at. We, we call it we call it modulation. Mm -hmm. So you look at the you look at the corners of the house and you run. You can you know almost as though imagining it. You don't have to do it on paper all the time. You just run a line from the corner of the house into the garden and you say, you know what what line is in sympathy uh, with with this particular line that's coming into the house, the modulation line. And uh, you know so you design you kind of design around modulation first. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you're saying, your your garden, my garden's this like your garden. It has bits and pieces in it that I like, and of course, with my chaos theory views on gardening, if it doesn't grow in my garden without being looked after, then it doesn't deserve to be there. So, do you have a lot of people coming to your home, for instance, and going, "But you're a garden designer. Why don't you have a designed garden?" <laughs> with yeah. my space, I'm immediately saying, "Well, actually." I've probably got one of the best designed gardens going because it needs no maintenance. Yeah. It needs very little watering. Okay. And everything works. I don't have to go and pretty things up because everything comes out at the right time. They're established. Um, there's a shady area. There's a this, that and the other. So it just does its own thing without you having to go and frittle around in it all the time. Is that the same? Do you have that same kind of thing from people when they come to your place? I do. Uh, you know, I have a lot of people saying, when are you going to get to your own garden? And I, well, I've got to it already. Um, that's how it is. This is how, my, you know, I just, I just look for empty spaces and there aren't many left, uh, to put in a, uh, an unusual plant. I, as I said, my little case, I'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to plants, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, this is, this is how I like my garden. I like my garden to be kind of informal and comfortable. I'm comfortable in that, in that space. Mm. I, I do have designer spaces in my garden where, I know that you have to have some sort of uh, seclusion zone, exclusion zone, you know, all these little things that, that just happen, as I say, instinctively, that I might, I might not even realize I've done in my garden because I do them without thinking. Um, but, but in terms of, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's going to take my whole garden out and redesign it so that it looks like um, a designer garden. And when I say designer garden, I'm talking about, you know, the elements of repetition, harmony, um, all, all the different uh, spatial considerations, focal points. Um, those things just happen naturally in my garden. Mm. But I mean, if, you, if you've got somebody who, who doesn't know what all these things that are that you're talking about. So what is an exclusion zone? What is a seclusion zone? And, and how do you feel about garden rooms? Yeah, so basically, 
uh, as a director, result of what we were talking about earlier on running lines from the architecture, we create what we call garden rooms. And one of the main things in garden design is um, we, we always say less is more. And, you know, sometimes I don't know if that's always true. Sometimes I think more is more. I'm a more is more kind of person sometimes. But so so running lines like that, you'll actually start to see your garden will start to develop these spaces almost on its own. And these spaces are, are what we call garden rooms. And the garden rooms are really, from a scale point of view, a garden room is virtually the same size as the rooms inside your house. The difference being that the garden room doesn't necessarily have brick walls and, and ceilings, um, physical ceilings and stuff. Although in gardening, we do talk about having garden walls and garden ceilings and garden floors um, and all mm. those good things. You know, I mean, the best thing to do, Mel, is um, when you've never done a garden before, realize that you've never done one before. When in doubt, don't. And always ask. You know, there's no harm in asking. There is some very good literature out there where you can go and just look at the basics and ask some questions. I think a garden should be designed on paper first. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it should be done by accident. There are some landscapers. Uh, I'm one of them. Uh, one of our good friends, uh, Debbie Smith, is one of them who can actually just stand and place things visually and because because we've done it for so long. But that's a skill you develop over years. I think if you've never done this before, you must grab a piece of paper and, and just sketch this, sketch it out and have a look at it and say, you know, it makes sense to plan it, um, to go out there and say, you know, I actually have a plan. Instead of going to the garden center, buying this whole lot of plants without really first realizing what you're going to do with them or whether they'll, whether or not they'll even work. But that is a thing. I mean, you can put hard landscaping in and, and yes, there is a place for hard landscaping, but for you and me, we like plants. So our gardens are all actually about plants and not so much kind of like, you know, building stuff that you can go and sit in and fire pits and all of that kind of stuff. We might enjoy them and put them in at some stage. But for somebody who's starting off, you would obviously want to get the hard landscaping in place first as well. It's always about hard landscaping first. And, and I mean, it's almost it's almost logical if you think about it, because you don't want to go planting up a garden and then try to lay hard edges and paths and things. I mean, the plants will just get damaged. And we all know that, um, you know, building and building and gardening don't necessarily go together at the same time. So, you know, the hard landscaping is, is where you actually break the egg, break the eggs to make the omelette. And, and I think get it down first because you're going to be mixing, probably mixing cement, concrete. You're going to be laying heavy pavers. You're going to be stamping and trampling and leveling. Um, so I think get that behind you first um, before you even look at plants and don't go buying the plants until you've finished all the hard landscaping and conditioned all the soil. And you're ready to plant. Also, you know, I've seen it too many times when plants just lie around for weeks and half of them die um, mm. because it's difficult to look after them um, while, they, while they're waiting to be planted. What are some of the tips and tricks that you've, you've gathered over the years which make it a little easier in the form of putting hard landscaping in? I mean, I, the one I immediately think of is like try and take the longest axis that you've got, not the one straight across the garden, but looking at it from one corner to another corner because that's your longest line. But what other things that people, what are the things that people should look at when they're thinking about, okay, I want to design my garden? Oh, well, you know, I think divide your garden up into, into rooms. Um, you don't have to, they don't have to be blocks because you can break those rooms down by, by building, um, uh, what's the word? Doors, windows, um, apertures, all sorts of things into, into between the rooms. So divide it up into rooms, make it interesting so that it becomes some sort of a journey. I always think of a landscape design as a journey. I don't mm. like to think of it as a static thing. So, you know, when I look at the landscape design, I might look at a garden and say, you know, this, I could potentially have 
three garden rooms in this garden and they could all have their own personality. You know, you could have a corner room and you spoke about, say, for instance, a seclusion zone. Um, and the seclusion zone is a peaceful corner where I might want to have, you know, plant some lush plants, um, some nice overhanging trees, put a nice comfortable chair or whatever in that, in that corner and then surrounded maybe by hedging or surrounded by taller shrubbery or whatever. So that that's the, that's the area that you can go into and, and you can just have some peace in that, that garden corner. You know, next to it, you could have an entertainment space where you meet your friends that could have a table and chairs in it, possibly a braai. That's virtually another garden room. Um, and then you could have another garden room that's designed for something totally different. Like, um, say, for instance, it could just be ornamentals. It could be an edible space that becomes another garden room. So it's really just asking yourself, first of all, what is it I want out of my garden? Remembering that. Uh, the, the next question for me is, are you trying to impress everybody else or are you trying to satisfy yourself in this garden? And as far as I'm concerned, it's your living space. Mm. And that's why w when you, you and I look at our gardens, we say, I'm comfortable with my garden. Um, it, it, you, you can either like it or hate it, but it's what I like. It's my garden. It's my personality. It's what I have to deal with every day. And this is what you have to look at when don't go to books and say, you know, something looks really sexy and I'm going to put it into my garden because it's, because it's great. And, and it doesn't even match your personality or doesn't even meet with what you want. Um, why would you do that? By the way, I should have warned um, everybody that, of course, Michael is a, a big proponent of sexy gardening. That garden is sexy. Okay. And they should, it sexy. should be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, gardening, this is the point is, is there, you know, people try to draw this essential, essential difference between gardening and landscaping, but you know, Mel, the lines are so blurred. Um, between what, what gardening is and what landscaping is, um, that nowadays we, we, we talk about them almost interchangeably because a garden could just be a place where, where you, you know, we talk about plant design. Plant design is, it's a journey as well. Don't be afraid to repeat the same plant, um, in the garden. You don't have to have every single plant in the garden it has to be different. You know, you can repeat the same plant. In fact, you should repeat the same plant. You should have some sort of dominant repetition in the garden that yeah. creates harmony and rhythm. Um, and then you can plant as much as you want. Um, that's different in the rest of the garden. You know, we, we, you, over the years, we've spoken about smarty box planting or fruit salad planting, where, where somebody's just planted this massive different colors and, you know, with no rhyme or reason as to why they exist. And, and just, just by embroidering a strong, maybe a white plant or a blue plant or a yellow plant right throughout all those colors, it just brings it all together. That dominant planting of one type of plant repeated often in the garden, makes a hell of a lot of sense. Absolutely. Now, the thing is, of course, like these days, I always, you know, I mean, my, my garden is pretty small. You don't have much of a bigger garden yourself. We have smaller properties. But a lot of people who are going into townhouses, I mean, they really do have matchbox kind of size to work with. How That's do you step, make yeah. a, spa a small space feel bigger? Well, you know, there's all sorts of tricks that we use, and most of them are visual. Um, well, in fact, all of them are visual because it's small. If it's small, it's small. There's not a lot more you can do about it. But by by creating interest in the walls, a lot of people think that by painting the walls a light color, you're going to create more spatial um, presence, but you don't. You paint them a darker color. So painting them a, a deep blue or a slate gray um, really makes the walls recede, and, and the garden actually seems a little bit bigger because the walls seem further away. It almost seems that they're shadowed. And if you plant shrubbery or put trellising with creepers on those darker walls, um, the garden definitely has a bigger appearance. That's just one of the tricks. Mm -hmm. um, another one of the tricks is, as you say, working diagonally. The, the longest line in a corner or rectangle is from corner to corner, not from side to side. 
So if you start to actually, if you decide that you want a patio, think about putting it at a diagonal 45 degree angle within the garden space as opposed to putting it squarely in the garden space. It creates a much bigger sense of space. Um, those are the two biggest tricks for me for smaller garden. Um, the other thing is using textures um, in planting, for instance. So something with a with a large leaf, if you plant it in the front of uh, something with a smaller leaf, it appears it appears to be receding, because in perspective, in any perspective, the way we see things in life, the the further away something is from us, the smaller it appears to get. So if you take plants with a finer texture and plant them behind plants with a larger texture, you create that holds a feeling that it's spatially larger than it really is. Mm. Colors, colors as well. We talk about colors in planting. Bright colors come forward, deeper, uh, darker colors and more subdued colors recede. So dark greens and deeper greens and blues will recede. And when you've got whites and you've got lighter blues and brighter colors, plant them near the front. They will, the garden will appear to recede into the background. It's all a visual trick now. Yeah. No, that, no that's one of the things. I mean, for anybody, who loves plants and like with the plants that we thought, I think I fell in love with so many plants over this last week. It's actually ridiculous. Difficult to say what is my favorite. It's always going to be agapanthus. Let's be honest. That's going to be my favorite for any space in the garden. Um, but for, for people who want to have lots of plants, okay. How, how should you group the plants together in one, make a block of planting or like, should you spread it out? What, what is your take on that? I like block planting. It depends. Block planting is block planting. Funnily enough, is uh, it, it comes. It, it really has its roots in classical um, design from the Renaissance or, or the French formal era, where they block planted into say a baroque kind of <laughs> these baroque gardens. Say in the side, they've got block planting. More contemporary gardening gardening is also block planting. So they have big square block plants, for instance. Um, you can do both. But remember, when you group plants, the very first question you must ask yourself is, what are their water requirements and what are their position requirements? Are they all sun plants? Are they all shade plants? Do, do they all like lots of water or do they all like not lots of water? If you mishmash them together, you are creating an inefficient uh, garden from a water-wise point of view. And also, it just doesn't make sense to try and water a cactus as, as much as you water as Antidesia. So don't group them together from a watering mm. point of view. So Group the sun plants together, group the shade plants together, group the water-loving plants together, group the, the more arid plants together. That, that's your first port of call. Um, the other thing is don't forget the ground covers. I think ground covers are important. It's a, a song I sing a lot of. People don't. We always go out and we buy the big plants and we forget about the ground covers. And to me, the ground cover, I start with the ground covers. That's where I start. Mm. What am I going to cover the ground with? It's, it's a green mulch. It's also very attractive. It makes the garden beautiful. It makes the garden rich and lush. Um, so even though it's a small ground hugging plant, I think just don't forget them. They're critical. Absolutely. The most important thing to have. Right. We're just going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about gardening in four dimensions. Yes, you heard right. We're going off to the fourth dimension. Stay with us. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And it's a blooming lovely day here in Johannesburg even if it is raining and we're wondering if the sun's ever going to come back it is coming back don't worry about it now we're talking planning gardens designing gardens with Michael Rickoff from Lifestyle College and of course he's one of the most inspirational designers when it comes to actually creating something quite unusual in a garden but the one thing that Mike and I had always talked about and I think we've, we've spoken about it quite a lot on tv as well is when you're planning 
a garden, you have to think four dimensionally. So it's not just about the height, the breadth and the depth of the garden, but also the fourth dimension, which is time. And it's not just time as, you know, looking at linear time where you go from today to the future. It's also different seasons. So there's always going to be different things happening at different times of the year, different rates of plant growth. Some that are very short lived will grow very, very fast. And other ones like trees will take a lot longer. Um, taking in and, and putting back into like different specimens in the garden um, the effects of a sunny day versus those of an overcast day like today how does that affect that time during the day um, how it looks in the early morning light how it looks in late afternoon the passage of time means that every garden is in a constant state of flux so mike how how do you go about like designing in those four dimensions interesting question and and, and let me answer the first one um, let, let's go back to what the third dimension means uh, first, we we speak about gardens having floors, and the floors not just the garden floor um, per se. It's what you do with it. So the garden floor could be decking, it could be paving, could be gravel, um, it could be lawn, it could be anything like that. So gardens have a real floor. Uh, gardens have real walls, and the walls could be walls, <laughs> they could be hedges, they could be um, any type of plants. Uh, for instance, they could be trellis. So so gardens have walls as well and so, some of the walls they don't have to be solid walls i mean i could have an avenue of trees that represent a wall for instance mm -hmm. um so 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 that, that's just another thing to consider and then of course ceilings i mean what is the garden ceiling the garden ceiling is not necessarily the clear blue sky you know the garden ceiling is something that we we orchestrate so it could be overhanging trees it could be a pergola a gazebo um anything like that 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 gives you that sense of cover it could be sails uh, you know, it's, as I said, it could be trees or vegetation, anything like that, garden lights. I mean, we created a garden ceiling once by hanging rows of umbrellas over a show garden, for instance, and a series of ladders over a show garden. But whatever the case may be, just think creatively about the fact that you create in this room. But importantly, remember that you also have inner space in this garden, and the inner space is everything inside of that. Um, so don't just garden around the periphery of the garden, because then you're just going to have a peripheral garden. Um You've got to create in that inner space and creating a, a design or creating form or creating something inside that inner space it could be hanging baskets. It could be anything that finds itself um, inside that space that that's occupied within the, the, the garden itself. And that's what we call gardening to the power of three. And then, as you say, the fourth dimension is that of time. And the most important thing I can talk about with time and and the most important mistake that most novice gardeners make is not realizing what the mature size of the plant will be. And when you look, when you look to plant something in the garden, I made this mistake years ago when I first started gardening. I've got two trees in my garden, which are simply too big for the garden mm -hmm. because I didn't do my homework and plant according to the mature size. And it's very tempting to do that because we want our garden to be full almost immediately. We want that, we want that instant gratification. Um, I think you, you've got to look at the small size and, and the mature size later on. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things I have a lot of people sending me pictures of like, I want to plant this tree in my garden. And I'm like, well, how much space do you have? And they say this much. I said, well, you do realize you're going to end up with the shadiest garden in the world. And that, of course, has its own problems because gardening in the shady areas, whether it's a wet shade or dry shade, can be problematic further down the line. Um, I mean, I have a tiny little garden, but I do have nine trees planted in it. But I wanted to create a woodland effect. And that works quite well. Yeah, so so 
once again, you had a vision, and that's what you're talking about. Have a vision, know what it is you're going for. Uh, realize that the plants will change. They're like people. You know, we don't all stay three months old forever. <laughs> you know, <we> grow <laughs> as up, much we get... as we'd like to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, and plants are the same. I mean, we plant a small plant. The, the funny thing is, one of the hardest things to manage with clients is we draw this garden design, and the garden design is according to the mature side as landscapers and designers. Then when we plant the garden up, very often the client is disappointed and says to us, well, you know, that's not what the plan looked like. You know, the garden looks quite quite empty compared to what you showed me. Mm. And it's only because we are we are showing them the vision about what this garden will look like when the plants reach maturity. Um, and it's something that you have to you have to come to terms with. That is a problem though. People are impatient. They want everything to like they oh, I want to put a big tree in. And we're like, great, you can put a big tree in, but you can also go and get um a smaller tree. And in two years' time, it will be the same size as that big tree that you've put in. But people want to get that immediate effect. So how do you stop them from actually going overboard and buying too many plants, filling them in, and then most of it grows out of its space? Well, the first thing is you talk budget. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, that um, money. Well, how much money do you have? You, we can throw lots budget. of money at this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you want a big tree in your garden, I can get you one, but do you have 40,000 rand or whatever yeah. the case may be? Alternatively, I can get you one for 1,500 rand, as you say, that will reach its mature size in a few years. So, uh, you know, in, in talking budget, you can say, I can give you, I can really give you more or less a complete garden. I do it in show gardens all the time. It's expensive. It's expensive mm. to fill a garden up. It's also dangerous to fill a garden up uh, say, for instance, with uh, um, perennials or whatever, and make it look full immediately, because you will be thinning that garden out in due course. Um, and, and that's just a waste of money. So it, it really makes sense to just exercise patience. You know, we, we find in, in a, a certain in corporate planting and, and whatnot, when you plant for hotels and things like that, they want big plants, and they do. They ship these huge trees in, and they plant them with cranes and all sorts of things. Um, that's a very, very different thing. But, but once again, it, it, it comes to the immediate effect and it comes to budget. Mm. Um, are you prepared to throw money at something simply because it's, it's painful to wait a year or two? Um, I, I always find that the minute we start talking budget, we sort of come to our senses very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> generally people don't realize. They, but then I, I sit and look at it from the point of view and say, actually, if you think about the space that you are actually putting money into, right? It's like, pretty much almost the same size as your house. If you're going to spend a hundred thousand rand on one room in your house, if you spend the same amount on something which is three times the size outside, you're going to be getting something which you can use a lot more. And so there still is this thing where people don't want to spend that much money on their gardens as they would on the stuff inside their house when they could actually be utilizing the outdoor space more than indoors. The sad reality is that a properly designed and installed garden adds value immediate value to the house even if it hasn't reached maturity it mm. adds immediate value beyond each range you spend that's the reality um, when people come to look at the house if your house is up for sale and you have a beautiful mature garden it sells the house um, if it's a, a beautiful living space it sells the house if the garden looks untidy and unkempt and uh, full of weeds and or just a dust bowl um, it doesn't help sell the house. So, mm. you know, we, we've got to, we've got to be pragmatic. We don't, we, you know, you, you obviously don't want to overcapitalize just like with everything else. But I think that, you know, it's, 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 it's worth asking the question. Like you say, you know, go and visit show houses, go and visit these open gardens and have a look and see for yourself. 
um, what what is your perception when you walk into that house with that, surrounded by that beautiful, integrated with that beautiful garden? It's a it's a feel good feeling. It's a warm yeah. fuzzy feeling. Yes, um, and it does sell the house, yeah. Well, one of the things that um, came up yesterday was somebody, who, brand new person to gardening. She's always had a garden and somebody who did it. And she joined the garden club, the lifestyle garden club. And she came up afterwards and said, I want to design my garden. How do I go about this? And the best thing, which we then said to her was, you need to understand how to garden first. So doing these short courses, like places like Lifestyle College actually put out, is one of the best investments that you will put into your garden before you've even bought a plant. I agree with you because first of all, I think that if you, if you go into a garden without knowing what you're doing, plants, plants are just funny. Melanie, you can make such a mess and things die. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. So yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's an investment. I think it's money that you will probably lose if you do it wrong anyway. So rather spend it on gaining the knowledge. Absolutely. Learn how to do things and then put it into place first. And if you intend doing it for a longer time, obviously, then you need that knowledge. If you're going to have somebody else doing it for you and maintaining, then you get somebody like Mike who comes and does it for you. Except, no, you can't have Michael because Michael's very, very busy because he's so good at what he does that he has everybody coming to him and say, I need you to do my garden. <laughs> but if people want to get hold of Mike, of course, you need to get him through Lifestyle College where he's a lecturer as well. That's why I know he knows so much. Or where would they find you online, Michael? Um, well, I'm, I am on Facebook, um, but generally speaking, I'm a kind of a word of mouth kind of person. So if you, if you need to get hold of me, it's probably best to work through the college. Yeah. Um, because as you know, I'm all over the place. And at the moment, I'm busy with the uh, design in the show gardens for 2023, believe it or not, Melanie, 2023. Yep. I can't say. believe it. It's already there. Um, and, we, sure. and we're right in the thick of it. So at the moment, I'm not out and about. I'm at the college and I'm kind of stuck there. Yeah, but as I said, the thing to do is if you don't know what you're doing and you don't want to go and do a course, then get somebody to come in and help. As Michael said, always ask for help before you throw away all your money. Right, well, that's it for Blooming Lovely for this week. Michael, thank you so much for giving us your time on this wonderful Sunday. Thank you. I hope um, you managed to get all your designs in place. and let, I can't wait to see the next designs coming for the show gardens. For the rest of you, stay safe on the roads out there. Don't get distracted by all the beautiful plants like I often do while you're driving. And please just remember that the roads are slippery. Take it easy out on the roads. Michael, I'll catch up with you again soon. And, of course, I'll be back with Blooming Lovely again next week. Take care, and we'll chat to you soon. Bye-bye.